Welcome to Troll Black TV's weekly podcast where we feature the world's most extreme athletes. This week we're featuring Tom Randall, who made history by climbing the century crack with Pete Whitaker, hailed as the most difficult off-foot climb in the world. Tom, welcome to our show. Yeah, welcome to our show. Thanks, thanks. You know, I gotta tell you, watching that video of you and Pete Whitaker on Century Crack made me really think my opinion of off-wood cracks. For the better or the worse. Oh, my God. You know, it's like most people avoid off-woods like the plague. And to see you guys and hear about you guys training for two years so that you can do this, uh, you know, it's mind-boggling. It's really an impressive feat. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely been a kind of um, obsessive type of uh, pursuit. Yeah, definitely um, pretty full on at times. What uh, what made you what drew you to off with? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it was probably because Pete and I hadn't been climbing that long together. Um, maybe a year or so. Um, before we tried doing some offwards, and we'd already fathomed out that we had this kind of uh, interesting climbing. It was a bit different, a bit kind of off the wall, not quite the same stuff as everyone else is interested in. And um, I think it probably all started with one particular route that we knew was an offwards crack that had had very few people repeat it because it was rumored to be really hard. And we kind of went and tried that, and it went okay. Um, We had a load of fun with it. And it sort of spiraled out of control from there, really, because we're quite competitive. And um, it ends up with one person going, oh, but, yeah, but what if we did this? And then, yeah, but if we did that, and then we could do this. And within, you know, like a day or so, it's got some lofty goal, which just seems a bit unrealistic at the time. (laughs) What made you uh, pick Century Crack? How, How did you even know about it? Oh, so we we knew all about that from uh, an old magazine article, um, which probably thinking back at now might have been 10 years ago or so, um, that an article came out about Stevie Haston finding this amazing project out in uh, Utah, which is this unclimbed um, off-width roof crack. And because we kind of had this interest in cracks and roof cracks at the time, and me and Pete were mega motivated towards kind of climbing some hard stuff and doing it as a, as a team. Uh, we kind of just saw this goal that seemed like the best thing ever because it was a niche. It was different from what anyone else would do. It would probably be uh, a bit weird going after it. Um, we'd have to kind of step off the, the beaten track as such as, you know, like normal stuff that most people go and do when they climb. And mm-hmm. And it seemed really appealing to do something which was totally off the off the spectrum, I suppose. And you trained for like two years in your basement? Yeah, it was two years that we put into that one. Um, so I got all the, a load of kitchen cabinets that are ripped out from the kitchen in the house that I was renovating and kind of took them apart and then rebuilt them um, on the on sort of the underside um, of the house, so in the cellar. Um, so they're all strapped to the ceiling of the cellar, uh, all these old <laughs> kitchen cabinets and sideboards, um, which make perfect parallel jamming cracks. Mm-hmm. Like a crack uh, machine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a proper Heath Robinson, badly put together, 
DIY nightmare. Um, there's screws everywhere and a lot of it wobbles and stuff. But I think that's part of the appeal now is that it was a, a, like a training environment that didn't give you any luxury or, um, you know, home comforts. And therefore, you, you end up really concentrating on putting in kind of like the hard hours. Mm-hmm. You know, it reminds me of the uh, early 80s. Um, you know, those Tony and Arrow and myself, we were building these crack machines and we built these long roofs with steep overhangs. And oh, yeah. uh, we weren't we weren't doing, you know, we'd build them out two by tens and we'd have these bolts that we'd screw them all together. And But we would never, uh, I was never thinking in terms of doing it for off with. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what blows me away that you guys train specifically for off with. What size is that? Um, so the one that we have, uh, or the two main offwits we have in the cellar, I think are, in terms of kind of um, thinking about it as body part size, um, one's about the width of your thigh, and then the other one is uh, kind of um, maybe hip hip size, so you could sort of squeeze a hip into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is, oh, I, don't, I can't remember the numbers anymore, maybe eight inches and the other one's 11 inches. I guess, um, but definitely no, you know, fist jamming or hand jamming or anything like that. You can definitely get your feet in above your head, um, but it's they're quite shallow cracks, so you can't insert your whole body in upside down and kind of do some kind of upside down caving affair. None mm-hmm. of that. What technique were you practicing mostly? Was it like stacking your fist? Yeah, it's a combination of um, stack it. You, you're climbing everything uh, down the cellar in, in roof cracks, horizontal roof cracks, and so that means that you have to climb with your feet above your head, so both feet of them, uh, both feet jammed, and then between your legs, you tend to do either a hand fist stack or a, a double fist stack. Mm-hmm. Um, but but with time, it was, it was interesting because we then learned that if you really want to try hard, you you essentially can still climb the offwards without doing the stacks and kind of desperately undercut the edge of the crack and you could still shuffle your feet so you end up learning quite a lot of things about how you know when you perceive a certain way in which a a crack has to be climbed if you practice it on a wooden one down the cellar for hundreds of hours there's quite a few different kind of nuances around it Hmm. the only thing you couldn't practice or did you practice uh, is putting the gear placement in Uh, yeah I mean yeah, I think uh, the reality is that if you spend enough years crack climbing or trad climbing, gear placement, mm-hmm. don't, I don't think they bother you particularly. Um, we did do just, some... Just the weight. Yeah, I mean, we did some practice ones uh, just before we left for the States on that trip, and we strapped a load of, uh, I think it was cams and some other stuff to weigh us down and see what it was like um, climbing the crack with the, with the gear. And it, it seemed okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I guess when you've been training down the cellar and you've been putting a 20-kilo weight vest on to do your mm-hmm. laps on, putting a, 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 what are, I don't know what all the cams are, six kilos? Six kilos worth of cams on you doesn't seem that big a deal. When you completed the ascent, did you know it was a 514? Well, when when we done it, did we know it was a 514? Yeah, did you? At the time, uh, or were you yeah, just speculating? It, no, it was it was pretty obvious because we'd climbed a, a lot of the hard um, off-wits in the States already on that trip. Um, 
and we were still a little bit unsure so we went and climbed some more straight after doing um century and uh and the weird thing is now is having done a, a lot of trad climbing and sport climbing all kind of around that grade years later mm-hmm. is i realized that we shouldn't have been uh you know um timid on giving our grade and on what we gave it because i'm, I'm pretty confident with it I've, there's not many climbing yeah. experiences i've had since then that i thought whoa that blew me away i'm glad i'd love to go back to century it'd be really easy <laughs> Yeah, how would you compare like that. that to uh, like the Kraken, which I know is a completely different beast, but how would you compare in terms of difficulty? Ah, yeah, that... you mean the the one that I did this summer in the UK? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's way, way more bouldery. Um, so that's just a complete uh, kind of power test piece, I suppose, power strength mm-hmm. test piece. Um, it's not that pumpy because it's not long enough. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas Sentry, the hardest bit of the route comes pretty much at the end. So you're I'm really getting over that lip. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's like that classic case of any endurance exercises that you break it into individual sections and it seems pretty easy. But if you've already spent 20 minutes hanging upside down by your legs, it's not that appealing to do a, I don't know, V7 crux or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you were on the crack and you said it was perhaps the most difficult crack problem in the world and that it was a stepping stone, what did you mean by that? Ah, oh, right, okay, yeah. Um, I, I get, uh, it's probably a, two, a two-part a two thing. Um, one is that I've always had, and, I, and, I, and I'll probably keep this going until the point at which I can't climb anymore, um, a strong belief that you always have to have your mind in, in, a, in a process and that as long as you see yourself in being a step-by-step process moving forward, even if it's just little kind of baby steps each week, each month, whenever it is, then you keep getting better at whatever your hobby or your passion is. Because mm-hmm. if you tend to focus on something which is, ah, oh, this is the best thing I'll ever do, or um, once I do this, it's over, I'm, I'm never going to do anything harder, I think you basically hit those expectations and you don't do anything harder. But even when you do your hardest thing ever, and maybe, for all I know, maybe the Kraken is the hardest thing I'll ever do, is I can't walk away from that and go, that's my hardest because I'll step off the gas, I won't keep trying, and I'll sit back on my laurels. Whereas now I'm even more hungry than I ever was because I feel like there's a stepping stone in it and I never give mm-hmm. myself that, um, mm-hmm. uh, what's it called, uh, sort of flexibility of mind to sit back and go, oh, wow, you did cool, cool there, Tom. That's a good achievement. I basically forget about it the next day and go, right, let's get back to the hard graft. Um, and then secondly, the other part of it is that me and Pete are ultimately wanting to do something really, really hard on crack climbing. So I suppose going and doing a very hard boulder problem is a stepping stone towards doing something much better and bigger together as a sort of team. Mm-hmm. Do you think we'll see a 515 crack climb soon? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Have you seen one? I think so. It, it, it might. It might not be. It might not be me. It might not be Pete. But I don't know. You, you have to look at the grades out there and what people are doing globally in terms of boulder grades, sport grades, and mm-hmm. it's, it's just a matter of finding the right project, um, being in the shape of your life, and hopefully not breaking too many <laughs> digits. I mean, I don't think it'll be very good for your body whoever does do it. 
How would you compare like a 514 sport climb to a 514 off-width? I, I know they're completely different, you know, disciplines, but how would you compare them if you were going to compare them? Okay, mm, uh, that's a good question. Um, the off-width thing, the whole off-width thing, thing is hard to explain until you've got someone to go and do some off-width thing yourself, and it's. The biggest thing about it is, is it's a whole body experience. So if you climb an off width at your limit, everything has gone to jelly. Your legs, your core, most of the time a lot of, there's a lot of skin pain involved in it, your arms, your biceps, your hands from trying to stack or jam or whatever you're doing. And so it's full on total body exhaustion and, and almost everything is somewhat failing in that kind of chain of different muscle groups. Whereas on sport climbing, it's generally, unless you kind of have things that are very roof-like or very core-intensive, it's just your forearm or perhaps sometimes your shoulders that are failing. So it's a very mm-hmm. isolated failure of you know a certain set muscle group. So it feels on your mind kind of uh, less intense. It's just as hard. I mean, I try equally as hard on a sport route as I do on a um, off-width. It's it, but it's way more unpleasant if you're feeling that failure in mm-hmm. most muscle groups in the body. Uh, it's cool, though. It's good fun. It's, you learn a lot about yourself. Yeah. When you uh, were visiting the States, you made a comment that really stuck with me. You said, what's interesting is that there's still a way off in the current sport climbing standards. And I personally yeah. feel there's an excuse for that. What do you mean by that? Well, I think um, basically the way I see that is that a lot of trad climbers now are they're just sitting back in this comfortable zone where we can go as a I don't know if you look at us as a group of top trad climbers you know 50 main trad climbers around the world who are operating more or less at the limits um, is those guys or, or us as a group can be we can get recognition coverage uh, whatever it is, praise on the roots that we do. But in all honesty, I think that physical standard's off the pace and it's not really good enough. And yeah, it's, it's lovely that it does happen to be the cutting edge, but you look forward into five, five, ten years in the future and I think we'll go, oh, do you remember the days when you could do a 513D trad crew or 514A trad crew and it was really hard and a lot of people thought that was the business and they'll mm-hmm. go nah that's just that's just nothing like people do when they go well done for doing a 514A sport route it's it's cool and it's you know well done but no one says oh I need to find out what the deal is what training do you do that how do you possibly break those standards it's, it's not going to be like that so when something goes wrong on a route how do you reel in your thoughts when all those negative ones come bombarding in? Um, ooh, uh, how do I reel them in? Uh, a mixture, I suppose. Um, it depends on how serious the situation has got, primarily. If it's not that serious and I'm only freaking out a bit because I've lost my head a bit and... I'm not feeling as confident or I'm, I'm not being decisive, then I say I find it quite hard to control um, uh, what's going on and, and taking stock of the situation. But if it really is very dangerous, then I mostly have an attitude of, well, 
I currently don't want to get hurt or die doing this situation, so I'll pick myself up right here, right now, and I trust the level of experience and physically where I'm at. Um, so it's just like a, a needs must thing. Mm-hmm. But if it, yeah, it's a really tricky one when you're you're sort of a bit dangerous, sort of a little bit scary, a little bit dangerous, but probably be all right. That's a hard one um, to control, mm-hmm. really hard. And I think I'm probably as guilty as any person out there at being pretty mediocre at controlling myself when it's like that. Do you have a particular method you use to quiet your mind? Because um, we all we all deal with it, every one of us. Yeah, yeah. Do I, um, it's really hard to... I, I always find these sort of questions really difficult because I almost need to be in the situation right now mm-hmm. and say, oh, yeah, no, I'll just do that. And, and I think I know it. As I can say, I, I know really well how I prepare... Um, for something that I know is about to be dangerous and to be risky and how I get myself in, it, in the right headspace. So how do you do that? But, so to do that, um, I, I set up a scenario in which um, I give myself a low expectation of the outcome. Um, so I don't say that I'm definitely going to commit to it. I, uh, I say to myself, I'm just going to take a step-by-step, see how it goes, um, and um, we'll see what happens in a minute's time, see what happens in two minutes' time, three minutes' time. Mm-hmm. And But whilst I do that, I very, very carefully anchor in my mind that I'm actually extremely confident and I know exactly what I do. And for me, I find that low setup of expectation plus a very, very solid belief in myself works really, really, really well. Like, for example, when... Um, I went and soloed uh, trench warfare in the States. Um, I set off on that saying to people around me, all I was going to do is just go four or five foot along it and just hang upside down with my legs and take some photos and just be an idiot and and, uh, mess around. But in my head, I absolutely knew that I trusted myself 100% to do it and that what I was going to do was I was going to go three foot along it and I was going to see what happened. And then I was going to go five foot and then I was going to get a little bit further, and all I was doing was just having those little, small expectation steps every time, and it went, yeah, it went really well. Right on, right on. So how do you deal with pain? Because pain is one of the biggest complaints I hear from people that are just getting into crack climbing. Um, I how do I deal with pain? I think I have a a good relationship with pain. That's probably the way to put it. Um. Do you enjoy I mean, it? No, I don't enjoy it. Definitely not. Um, I think I I kind of relish the... I make a positive association with the pain being a good thing associated with whatever I'm doing. So whether that's crack climbing, that's the thing that most people have an issue with. So I go, crack climbing, I absolutely love it. Pain generally comes with crack climbing, therefore I love it. And when I get on and do it, I don't really love it, but I tell myself that I love it because I love crack climbing. And it's just not much of an issue when you do that. It's when you set up for something and say, oh, I love crack climbing, but it's so painful. Oh, I'm not looking forward to this. And you get on the route, and then it is a bit painful. And all you end up thinking is, I'm not enjoying this. It's really painful. I didn't think it was going to be this painful. And that's a load of rubbish when that happens, and you, you don't want to mm-hmm. do it again. 
So it's really just like a matter of tricking your mind a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I reckon there's a, a, a lot in sport. Um, is a lot of, yeah, mind tricks, basically. Um, knowing who you are and then having a good method to sort of trick yourself in the moment. Mm-hmm. Which is why things which have very, very long duration um, and gone for ages and ages, like, you know, ultra running or, for example, what Alex does with long, long free solos, I think that's particularly hard because it's, it's difficult to sort of trick yourself into that moment um, for mm-hmm. a very, very long time. You come in and out of it. One of the quotes I got from you that I really like is, get strong or die trying. I know training plays a huge role in your success. What three exercises do you believe has made the biggest difference for you? Okay, the biggest thing that I think uh, would change people's tra- training game is to recognize that um, whatever strength work that you do, you have to match it and complement it with a high base of volume in that same muscle group. So, for example, if you want to be really good at your core and you you love front levers and um, hanging bar work that's really, really hard, kind of those mega intense movements, um, is you need to complement it with lots and lots of very easy, high-volume, repetitive work in that same muscle group. And that creates well-conditioned, hard-to-injure, long-term athletes and you do that across all of the um the muscles in the body that you want to to use or are important for your sport i think you go a very long way that's mm-hmm. probably my my biggest thing that i think's massively affected my climbing you do a lot of hangboarding right yeah i do yeah is there a particular practice that you'd use to, you know you're doing like three seconds on four five seconds off type thing or um, so for the hangboarding, I think um, for me the biggest uh, change has occurred by uh, changing all my hangboarding from two arm to single arm, and I do 95% at least now of my hangboarding single arm. I basically yeah, nev- never ever do it two arm. Um, I do some uh, weighted um, pull-up work, but like on, on edges, that will be kind of form my, my last percentage. Mm-hmm. And I'd have my very best gains by doing everything single arm. Single arm. Interesting. So I imagine if you're just starting off, you know, for our listeners, you're hanging from the biggest hole that they can hang on to just would be a good start. Yeah, from a, a good side hole to like a, a good two-joint edge, um, but also to use uh, an assistance pulley um, mm-hmm. to uh, get you to like uh, have additional help with it. Because um, one of the things that I do is I uh, do like these physical assessments for uh, climbers, and we can take all the um, the figures that people can do, like hanging, like hangboard work, um, with a, a pulley, and you'll see that even a climber who's trying to climb their first. Um, 512A, for example, mm-hmm. um, might well be able to hang 70 or 75% of their body weight single-handed. So if you think about that, that means that when they're going to do their strength training, they just want to operate right at that kind of margin of their, their maximum strength. And if you take that rationale, therefore they can definitely do that work single-armed. Um, they just have to put a, a reasonable amount of weight um, on that assistance pulley. Mm-hmm. So uh, are you uh, adding, you, but you're doing the opposite. You're adding weight to your body weight. 
Yeah, so so eventually you'll get to the stage where you can add body weight, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. For people who are just starting, they should do it the opposite, take some body weight off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I think the, the easiest way to do that is to have your hangboard um, attach a pulley pretty close to that hangboard, but centrally, and then hang put your rope through the pulley with um, a, normally a rucksack, I think is a good way to do it, because it gives you potential to put a lot of weight in the rucksack and then put a knot on the other side of the rope and then hold the knot and use that to take the uh, the weight off your body. You can, I have tried it with attaching the rope to your harness, um, but it, it's, it feels just a bit of a weird, weird kind of movement. I think it's easier just holding on to the assistance the other hand. stops the spin as well when you, you mm-hmm. do the hangs. Yeah, no, I've tried that as well. Do you think women are capable of pushing the limits as much as men? Yeah, I think they are. Um, uh I think this is an interesting point because um, if if I look at uh, you know hundreds of climbers that I've gone and assessed and looked at these physical characteristics of them, um, I'm really kind of like interested in all this geeky uh, sort of data collection about climbers. Is that you see that ultimately for everyone out there, the thing, the one thing that matters is the amount of your body weight that you can carry. So mm-hmm. if you can carry 100% of your body weight on a on a single arm hang, then more or less, unless you've got some issues, whether it's lack of fitness or ill health or no mobility, you're going to be climbing about 14A slash 13D. Mm-hmm. You carry 110% of body weight, you're going to be climbing 14CD. Interesting. Um, so therefore, it doesn't matter whether you're female, whether you're 18 years old, whether you're 40 years old. There's a really, really good relationship to a, between that basic strength and um, you know the, the related uh, body weight carried. And, yeah, uh, this is going to be music to my wife's ears because she weighs 98 pounds, wet out of the shower. And I keep telling <laughs> yeah. her, I, just, I keep telling her, my God, if you keep training the way you're training, you, that weight to strength ratio will all of a sudden hit this critical mass where all of a sudden you're able to do things that most people can't do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, where do you see yourself in 10 years? 10 years? Um, hopefully still doing plenty of, I, I guess 10 years is pretty going to be approaching the limit of when I can still keep forward improvement but I I definitely see the next 10 year window as being one in which I'll keep making forward progress and I'll get better and better each year and mm-hmm. I've just got to be careful with injury really that's that's the thing that holds you back and, and um, sort of stagnates you a bit because you have to take time out but yeah I, I totally see myself going forward bit by bit not massively, but picking it over, little baby steps. Yeah, baby steps. I, I like that one. And finally, what words of inspiration you'd you like to share with the Trouble Back community? Um, ooh, uh, okay, words of inspiration. All right, everyone likes improving and getting better at their sport. So I will say my number one kind of thing that I say to the people that I coach and, and work with trying to get their, their sports to go forward and that is that the most important things are consistency so just plow it same thing don't 
go ups and downs every week, every month. Just stick at it. Take baby steps. Focus on that process, little steps forward, and stay motivated. You get those three together, and you get better year on year on year. Right on. Right on. Well said. Well, Tom, I, I can't thank you enough. You truly have been an inspiration to me, and I'm sure all our listeners out there. Hey, no problem. It's really been really good chatting to you. Really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, and just talking to you makes me want to go back into crowd climbing and see what else I can do. Yeah, do it, do it. Right on, man. Hey, well, I look forward to meeting you in person. Uh, good luck yeah. with all your endeavors and adventures. And uh, um, I know if anyone wants to get personalized training with you, can they do it online with you? Yeah, it's look, look me up on uh, Facebook. That's always a good place to find me. Probably right on. Right on. <laughs> well, uh, um, I may be uh, doing the same with you. So um, let's stay connected. Yeah, yeah, and you. Take care. Okay. Okay, bye. Bye-bye, Tom. That was an insightful conversation. Here's a couple takeaways for you. Number one, stay consistent. Plot your course and stick with it day in and day out, taking little baby steps while staying focused on the process and always, always stay motivated with your eyes on the prize. You get these things together and you'll get better and better year in and year out. Number two, don't rest on your laurels. It's okay to celebrate your victories and pat yourself on the back. That's important. But don't take your foot off the pedal and allow yourself to coast for a bit. You may find yourself working twice as hard just to get back to where you were. And as Tom says, get strong or die trying. I like that. Until next week, my friends, this is Dan Goodwin with Troll Black TV, your entertainment source for extreme sports. <laughs>